let's touch on the medications just again real quick, because there are some medications that people take that definitely contribute to bone loss. So if you have taken them or you are currently taking them, you need to be aware of this. So glucocorticoids, I mentioned these before, like prednisone, for example, if you are taking prednisone, and it's typically people might be taking it or have been prescribed it because they've got rheumatoid arthritis or, or something like that. It's going to cause and contribute to bone loss. And the most precipitous bone loss is going to take place in the first couple months of use. But if you continue to take it, you'll continue to have that bone loss take place. Welcome back to the Energized with Dr. Marisa podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marisa, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones, optimize your metabolic health, and feel energized in your body so that you can age powerfully and wake up feeling amazing in your body for many years to come. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through the super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. You are never too young or too old to take care of your bones. Did you know that our peak bone building years run through our late 20s? And then around that time, we reach peak bone mass, maximum bone density, and strength. And then after that, bone removal starts to outpace bone creation. But what you're going to learn today is that with proper care, our bones can carry us strong and upright throughout our entire lives. Now, weak and brittle bones are not an actual part of aging, but far too many of us, about 8 million, particularly women, have osteoporosis, a bone disease that occurs when the body loses too much bone or makes too little bone or both. Now, osteoporosis often begins as a minor bone loss, a condition known as osteopenia. And yes, you can test for both. Now, osteoporosis is often called the silent disease because you can't really feel your bones weakening. The wake-up call is often a broken bone, usually the hip, spine, or wrist. Now, breaking a bone is something we should all strive to avoid at all costs, not just for the pain, discomfort, and limited mobility and the break itself, but the repercussions. See, 20% of seniors who break a hip will die within one year from either complications or the surgery to repair it. So it's critical to prioritize bone health and work with your doctor to catch any bone loss earlier, especially as we enter menopause and beyond. In fact, an International Osteoporosis Foundation survey of women in 20 different countries found that many postmenopausal women are in denial about their personal risk. And I just don't want you to be one of them. And the reason why this is a big concern for us as women is that once we get into menopause, that low level of estradiol puts us at greater risk for osteoporosis. And because I know that many of my women are in either perimenopause or menopause and beyond, and we are experiencing shifts and declines in our hormones, I invited Kevin Ellis, known as the Bone Coach, to join me to not only dismantle some of the biggest myths around osteoporosis, but also what you can do to proactively maintain healthy, strong bones today. Now, before I bring him on to answer, to have him answer all the questions that I have about bones, I want to quickly sing his praises. Kevin Ellis, better known as The Bone Coach, is a Forbes-featured integrative health coach, podcaster, YouTuber, and the founder of BoneCoach.com. Through a unique three-step process and world-class coaching program, called The Stronger Bone Solution, he and his team have helped thousands of people with osteopenia and osteoporosis in over 1,500 different cities around the world get confident in their Stronger Bones plan. He is, has a mission to help over a million people with osteoporosis build stronger bones, and I'm so excited to bring him on today. Let's welcome Kevin to the show. Welcome, Kevin, to the Energized Podcast. It is so good to see you again. I mean, we just saw each other a couple of months ago. You guys are coming to town in a couple of weeks, and I'm so excited to host you because you are my go-to expert for osteoporosis. Not something that we always want to be thinking about, but it really needs to be on our horizon, and I'm just so happy to have you here. Well, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I think it's such an important topic. It, it doesn't get talked about enough, 
And we need to talk about preserving and strengthening the structure that's going to carry you to an active future. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. And I'm a little embarrassed that it is taking us this long to have you on the show and to even really talk about this topic that for so many of my women, even in perimenopause, getting early diagnosis of osteopenia, it being on their radar, having moms and aunts and sisters showing up with um, osteoporosis. And so I know this is in the back of our minds. I know it's in the back of mine. My grandmother has very severe osteoporosis. And so I'm thinking about it. And I remember even doing scans as early as my 20s because I drank a lot of Diet Coke when I was younger and I was really scared. <laughs> and so it's been on my radar personally. So I'm super excited. The first question I want to ask is, you know, what was that defining moment for you that had you jump into this beautiful, beautiful topic, into this amazing work that you do? Yeah. Cause Here's something I know every woman can agree on. Stubborn belly fat can feel like the worst especially when you've tried everything to lose it. Not to mention, belly fat can be dangerous for us too. According to a brand new study, women over 40 who have excessive belly fat are up to 20% more likely to suffer a heart attack. And no surprise, hormones are involved in belly fat production, which is actually good news because we can optimize your hormones and metabolism for a flatter stomach. And that's exactly what I'm offering to you as a free gift today. My Belly Slim Down Guide gives you three effective strategies to get rid of belly fat, along with recipes to reduce bloating, balance your blood sugar, and speed up your metabolic furnace to optimize fat burning. So grab the Belly Slim Down Guide with my proven protocols and recommendations and recipes now at drmarisa.com slash slimdown. That's drmarisa.com slash slimdown, and the link will be in the show notes. When you're thinking about osteoporosis, you're not typically thinking about the younger male, right? Who may be helping people with this. You are typically thinking about maybe your mother, maybe your grandmother, or, you know, for me, I worked in a retirement home when I was younger. So I had lots and lots of grandparents that were around me. And that's where I got my initial exposure to bone health and osteoporosis. But I would say my personal health journey was the real reason why I got into this. And uh, I would take my health journey back to when my mother was five months pregnant with me. Uh, my father was told he had cancer. Two months after I was born, he passed away. He was 35 years old at that time. And my entire life, I had this fear that I was going to follow in his footsteps to an early grave and not be there for my kids or be there to experience the joys of being a father. And I followed in his footsteps in the sense that I did. I went in the Marine Corps and I was in the Marine Corps for a couple of years. And right after I got done with the Marine Corps, I had all these health issues. I had high stress, poor sleep, chronic digestive issues, low energy. Some days I could barely even get out of bed. And then I was finally told I had celiac disease and I was malabsorbing nutrients for many, many years. And for those who don't know, if you, I'm sure you've talked about it before, but for those who don't know, celiac disease is an autoimmune condition where when you ingest gluten or proteins that mimic gluten, it can actually damage the villi, these tiny little nutrient absorption centers in your small intestine. And it can prevent you from absorbing nutrients that you need. Now, my body still needed those nutrients to execute its daily functions. So where was it going to get the nutrients? It was going to my bones and it was taking those minerals from my bones. And eventually I was diagnosed with osteoporosis at a young age. And I was worried and concerned. I had no idea what to do. I was really depressed when I first found out. I just remember thinking, I just wanted to dance with my daughter on her wedding day. And that was like the thing for me in the future. And that's what took me down the path of the reading, the research, the getting the right plan in place, and then deciding I wanted to help a lot of people. And we've done that at this point too, uh, building stronger bones and preventing fractured injury. Hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your story and to get a diagnosis so early in life. You know, how often does that happen? Like what are the percentages, Kevin, of, of seeing younger people with diagnosis of osteopenia or osteoporosis? Even if we're talking about just Americans, we've got 10 million Americans that know they have osteoporosis, another 44 million that have low bone density. So it's pretty common, but I would say there are probably a lot more people that have had bone loss take place that just don't know it. And part of the reason could be because they are younger, because normally uh, what happens is you've got primary osteoporosis, which typically occurs as a result of a decrease in estrogen in postmenopausal women. 
Estrogen has that protective effect on bone as estrogen levels decrease as they do during menopause. That causes an increase in the activity level of cells that break down bone. But then there's a whole nother cause of osteoporosis. And that, that's where when younger people can actually show up with it. And that's called secondary osteoporosis. And that's where bone loss and osteoporosis occurs as a result of behaviors, disorders, diseases, conditions, medications. And the other thing that could have happened is you may just not have built up enough bone in your younger years. 90% of that bone mass is put on by the time you turn age 18. And the remaining 10% approximately fills in by the time you turn 30. So if when you were younger, you had poor diet nutrition, you drank a bunch of sugary soft drinks or ate a bunch of candy, or you didn't get the nutrients that you need for stronger, healthier bones, the vitamin D, vitamin K2, magnesium, calcium. You didn't get those building blocks at a young age. Maybe you led a sedentary lifestyle. You weren't exercising or playing sports or moving your bones in these short, sharp, dynamic movements or doing gymnastics, for example. You weren't doing these things. That could have been a contributor. Or maybe you took prednisone or glucocorticoid medications when you were younger, or you smoked or drank excessively or had an eating disorder. All of those things could have prevented you from achieving peak bone mass and starting with what I call a full bucket. So there are a variety of things in that that could have contributed to you being in that position of having that bone loss. Uh, yeah. And I feel like today more than ever, when we have 33% of our teenagers being diagnosed with prediabetes, and I know that many of us, many children are living a more sedentary lifestyle. I'm curious, we're seeing an uptick in secondary osteoporosis. And then we see those hormone changes, especially in women. You know, I don't know if that's playing out just yet, but I was just curious, just kind of hearing your own personal story. I know that celiac disease isn't as common as some of these other things, but I know that a sedentary lifestyle and a high ultra processed diet and sugar diet is more common than it used to be. Absolutely. The trend is up it's going to go up and it will continue to go up, especially as, you know, we continue to lead these lifestyles. We continue to focus on processed and packaged foods where we're prioritizing playing on our phones and looking at our screens in the evening versus going and getting some good solid rest, right? Or uh, living these high stress lifestyles where everybody talks about the lion, but it's not the lion that really stresses you out uh, or creates that stress response. It could be the psychological challenges, the fear, the family conflict, the financial challenges, keeping up with the perfect lives of the Joneses on social media. This lifestyle is not just driving issues with your health. It, it could be contributing to your bone, bone health too. Yeah. Well, I want to just pivot for a second. I know I want to get into the connection between gut health and bone health. And I know that you intimately know that because that was very much your story um, but I think one of the things that a lot of my listeners want to know is, you know, one, how do we even diagnose osteoporosis or osteopenia? Is there, is it, do we go through our, our, just our primary doctor? You know, when should we start looking at this? Yeah. I like to see people look at this the earlier, the better. So if you are perimenopausal, menopausal, you should be asking your physicians, having these conversations now and Sometimes if you ask for something, unless you know the right language to use, you might not be able to get that specific test, or you might be told, oh, you don't need that now, or we don't do that until you're 65 or 70 years old. You may hear that. But in those situations, what you say is, hey, look, I understand that, but I'm concerned for this reason, this reason, this reason, and I'd love to for you to help me get some objective data so I know where my starting point is. So that's one way you can position that conversation. And the test that you are asking for is what's called a bone density scan. That's one of them. And this test looks at the actual mineral content of your bone. And when you get this scan done, it generates a score. And if you are plus one or minus one, that's considered normal and healthy. Minus one to minus 2.5 is considered osteopenia, which is like a precursor to osteoporosis. We would call that low bone mass. And then minus 2.5 or lower, so minus 2.6, minus 2.7, that's considered osteoporosis. And the greater that negative number becomes, the more severe the osteoporosis. Now, most people, they only have part of the picture when they get a bone density scan. So the bone density scan tells you the density, the actual mineral content of the bone. What it doesn't normally tell you is the quality, the structural integrity, the microarchitecture, how that bone is organized, 
Those two things combine to create bone strength. So a lot of times when people get told they have osteopenia or osteoporosis, they don't even have the full picture. So how do you get the full quality picture? Well, there are a couple of ways that you can get that. So bone density, there's a bone density scan, but there's actually an add-on software on some of these scans called TBS, trabecular bone score. You can ask the facility that you're getting a bone density scan at if they have TBS, trabecular bone score capability. If they do, that can help fill in. At the same time you do your scan, it can help fill in that quality piece of the picture. So that's going to give you a better indicator of bone strength. There's also another technology called REMS. It's a REM scan, radio frequency, echographic, multispectrometry technology, and it is an ultrasound scan. And this scan also looks at your bone density, your bone quality, and gives you a five-year predictor of, of uh, gives you like a fragility score, basically a fracture. So those are two really important tests. And the last thing I'll note about the tests from a diagnostic perspective is even when you get those tests, what they won't tell you is, are you still actively losing bone right now, present day, as you speak, especially if you only have one, right? So what, what are the tests? What are this, the lab markers that we can look at now to figure out if you're actively losing bone? Well, there are a couple of them. You can look at bone turnover markers, okay? And bone turnover markers look at the activity level of cells that are breaking down and building up your bones. So one of them is a bone resorption or bone breakdown marker is called CTX, C-telopeptide. That's a blood test. And that test looks at the activity level of cells that are breaking down your bone. And if that activity level is elevated or even really high, that can be an indicator of active bone loss and a root cause issue that needs to be addressed. And we can talk about some of those in a minute. And then the other part of this would be bone formation. If you look at bone resorption, you don't just want that side of the picture. You want the other side too. You want to look at bone formation. So the most sensitive marker for bone formation is called P1NP, pro-collagen type 1 N-terminal pro-peptide. And that looks at the activity level of cells that are building up your bones. And, and that's how you can start to build out a more full picture of your bone situation. So would you recommend that we first do the bone density and see if they've got the technology that kind of looks at a deeper, the trabecular kind of matrix. And then based on that information, should we dive deeper and figure out what our labs are? Absolutely. Even if you can only get a bone density, right? Even if you can't get the quality piece, get a baseline, get a bone density scan, know where you're at. Because even if you don't have the quality picture, sometimes if the density is really low, that quality is going to come with it. There is going to be some quality and some structural integrity that comes with that too. So it's good to just know, get the test, know your baseline and don't, I wouldn't approach this where, well, I don't want to know, you know, what the answer to that is. So I'm not going to get the test. I would not approach it that way because the younger you are, the easier it is to build that bone strength back. Because once you get older, you have fewer cells involved in the process and the process becomes less efficient. So it, it just, you can build bone strength at any age. It just becomes more challenging as you get older to do that. It's like an uphill battle, you know? And I know that earlier, I mean, obviously, hopefully we're doing the things that we need to do right now to continue to build our bone. I mean, I talk a lot on the show about maintaining our muscle mass and how, you know, how do we avoid sarcopenia? But a big part of that conversation is like, how do we protect our bone and muscle? as we get older. Good question, actually. I mean, obviously, like you talked about, there's a foundational bucket. Like we have until we're 18 years old to build 90% of that and that other 10% at 30 years old. And ideally, we ran and played and got all the calcium and magnesium and vitamin D. We ate nutrient-dense foods. Like we did all the things. We played sports. We maybe even started lifting weights in our, our teenage years and definitely in our 20s. And we've got great bone density heading into our 30s. But then, you know, obviously we start to 
a lot of things, you know, once we hit our mid thirties or so, I know our hormones begin to shift, our metabolic health begins to shift. I'm guessing that not just our body composition, but some of our bone, it begins to shift as well. Is there a particular age where we naturally potentially start to lose bone density or kind of that bone structure? Is it, I mean, I know we talked about lower levels of estrogen, so late forties into our fifties, but could we be losing it a little bit earlier, just like we start to lose muscle mass? Yes, absolutely. That's going to happen right around that 30 years of age. You hit that peak right around 30 and then uh, maybe 35, maybe a little bit lower. And then, yeah, it's, it would... It's a slow decline. <laughs> especially if, if you're not actively doing things. Now, you can, there are things you can actively do, uh, and we can talk about what those proactive things are that you could do to maintain and even build that bone strength. As you, as you age. So, well, what I'd love to do before we get into the things that we can actively do, because I want to hear if I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but before I do that, one of the things you had mentioned were some of the root causes. And we talked about two. When we talked about poor nutrition, obviously something like medication or even a major gut issue where you are not getting the right nutrients to absorb into your bones, I know that's a root cause potentially. Also, we know the decline in reproductive hormones, particularly estradiol and she's going to go away one way or the other, she's leaving, that decline has a profound impact, not only on our bone health, but our cardiovascular health and our neurological health and our insulin sensitivity. So we know estrogen plays a major role there. But what are some other root causes that we should be aware of, especially in that mid 30s, 40s, 50s that inadvertently is happening, but we just didn't know? Yeah, absolutely. So Let's touch on the medications just again real quick, because there are some medications that people take that definitely contribute to bone loss. So if you have taken them or you are currently taking them, you need to be aware of this. So glucocorticoids, I mentioned these before, uh, like prednisone, for example, if you are taking prednisone and it's typically people might be taking it or have been prescribed it because they've got rheumatoid arthritis or, or something like that it's going to cause and contribute to bone loss. And the most precipitous bone loss is going to take place in the first couple months of use. But if you continue to take it, you'll continue to have that bone loss take place. So just be aware of that. And then another one would be antacids. So PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, pardon me, or H2 receptor antagonist drugs. And these drugs are designed to increase the suppression of or reduce the production of your stomach acid, right? And the reason that's a problem is you need stomach acid to properly break down and extract nutrients from your food, like amino acids, the building blocks of protein, right? You need protein for your bones. Your bones are 50% protein by volume, so they need amino acids. And then you also need muscle, right? So protein for muscle too. So you need to be able to break that, that protein, but calcium, magnesium, iron, B12, you need good stomach acid for those things. And if you don't have it, your body and your bones are not going to get those nutrients that you need. Another one would be selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, antidepressants, right? So there is there are plenty of studies out there that show that SSRIs do have a negative impact on bone and they can increase the risk of fracture. So just be aware of those ones. If you're taking them, either we need to have a conversation with our doctor about figuring out ways to transition off of them or just be aware of them before you get into that. Gut health. Oh, you want to, was there anything else on medication there? Just, and more so around, we're going to, we're going to get into this in just a second. Let's, you know, let's say someone just absolutely has to be on an antidepressant or a corticosteroid, and it just hasn't been able to figure a way out of it. Are there recommendations that we can adjunct to kind of circumvent some of that loss? And, and I know we'll get into that because even, even the gut issues we're about to get into is, you know, whether it is that you are taking um, anti, you know, antacids or you are, you've got celiacs or you have a major gluten intolerance or you have severe, you know, dysbiosis, that's going to cause a decline in critical nutrients into your bones. So I would love, and let's be honest, so many of us have a gut issue. Like I think it's upwards around 70% of us are dealing with some type of gut issue. And so I'm really excited to talk about, you know, what we can do to circumvent that if we know we have some of these things lingering in our life. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about gut issues and how they're connected to your bones for a sec. So for gut health, 
I talked about one of the contributors earlier, with, which is celiac disease. So let's talk, talk about that one for a minute. So celiac disease, we already touched on, it's an autoimmune condition. You ingest gluten, it damages your roots, what I call your roots in your soil, right? These villi, these tiny little nutrient absorption centers that are responsible for absorbing the nutrients from the food you eat. And they become blunted and damaged over time to where they can't do their job. And that is going to prevent you from absorbing really important nutrients for your bones. So that's one way. Now, if you have not been tested for celiac disease, you should probably get tested for that, right? So you can get a TTG IgA test, tissue transglutaminase test. You can get total serum IgA, IgG, IgA antibodies. You can get some of the other functional tests surrounding gluten that Dr. Mariza talks about. You can do those different tests. And then one of the other things we want to look at too is if you get those tests and it shows that you may have an issue there, then you go get an upper endoscopy, which is going to confirm whether you actually have celiac disease and that villous blunting that we're talking about. So celiac disease is important. And the other note I'll make on it is you may not have the classic GI symptoms and you could still have celiac disease. So you may not have the bloating, the pain after eating gluten, you know, the loose stools and diarrhea, you may not have that stuff and you could still have it. So if you've got other issues, health issues going on, joint pain, fatigue, low energy, neuropathy, any of that kind of stuff, get that checked out. Then one of the other things that I would say would be if you have bloating and belching a lot after, after meals, really short period of time after you've got small intestinal, maybe you've got small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you've got CFO also small intestinal fungal overgrowth. Uh, you could have parasites, bad bacteria, all those kinds of things could be contributing factors to digestive issues. And then in terms of digestive issues as a whole, how do they actually affect our bones? Well, there are a couple of ways. I talked about nutrient absorption as being one of the ways that it can affect our bones. It's not going to let us absorb the nutrients our body and bones need. We don't get those nutrients and our body pulls from the bones, sequesters from the bone to get those minerals out that it needs. The other way is that your bones are very much living tissue. They're not this static thing that keeps you upright and carries you through life. They do that. They do a really good job of it too, but they're living tissue, right? And within your bones, you have something called bone marrow. 95% of the, the blood cells in your body are produced in the bone marrow. So you've got red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets, right? So if you need help with clotting or preventing bleeding, platelets are going to help with that. If you need help with carrying oxygen to the body's tissues, carrying carbon dioxide away from the tissues back to the lungs, red blood cells are going to help with that. If you need help with fighting infections, healing wounds, anything related to the immune system, that's where white blood cells are going to come in. The cells that break down bone are a form of white blood cell. So anything that's speaking in the same language as the immune system is speaking in the same language as the cells that break down bone right? Where does 70% of your immune system reside? In your gut. <laughs> In your gut, right? So if you have these chronic digestive issues, it's not just a matter of, are you absorbing your nutrients? It's a matter of, are you stimulating the immune system, which is speaking in the same language as the cells that break down your bone? Yeah. I was going to say that it's so, so intricately tied together particularly because of the immune system. And so if you have an immune system that's overactivated, you are probably going to have an overactivated system that is breaking down bone. Yeah, absolutely. And autoimmune conditions, same kind of thing. If you've got an autoimmune condition, it's not in remission. That's another, anything that's creating inflammation, stimulating the immune system. And, and just the stuff that we talk about all the time, most of us talk about all the time that can contribute to, you know, poor health and disease that's probably going to be affecting your bones as well. So do you also recommend looking at inflammatory markers, you know, consistently like a C-reactive protein to get a good sense of what's going on, just to understand your inflammatory level to see if that's something that you need to be paying attention to? Yeah, those are great tests to look at. Some of the other tests I really like to look at. So I talked about bone turnover markers before, and th those tests are looking at the activity level of cells that are breaking down your bone. Another one that I like to look at, especially for active bone loss, would be 24-hour urine calcium. And that's not looking at the cells that break down your bone, but it's looking at calcium in your urine. And if that's really high, it can be an indicator of 
bone loss. And then some of the other ones that are really important would be complete blood count, comprehensive metabolic panel. Those are standard tests that just about everybody's getting. When you get the comprehensive metabolic panel, calcium is going to be in that, right? And you want to look at your blood calcium levels. And at the same time, you're looking at blood calcium levels. You want to look at your vitamin D levels, your PTH, parathyroid hormone, and your ionized calcium levels. So PTH, parathyroid hormone, comes from your parathyroid glands. So these tiny little rice-sized glands that sit on the backside of your thyroid, and they're responsible for regulating calcium levels in your blood. And that's their job. Sometimes what happens is people get a tiny little tumor on these glands, and usually it's benign. The majority of the time it's benign. But what it can do is cause your body to rake more calcium from the bones. And in that situation, you'd be able to spot that if you have a high PTH and a blood calcium level that's persistently above 10. So if you go and look at your tests, your lab tests over time, have you seen your blood calcium levels above 10 multiple times? 10, 10 10.1, 10.2, 10.3, 10.4. That may show as the normal range for your lab, but if it's persistently above 10, get your PTH checked because you may very well have a parathyroid tumor and that can rate calcium from your bones. And the sooner you find that out, the better. You know, I've talked to some of the best parathyroid people out there and I've even asked about, you know, natural approaches and can you just, you know, change your diet and do some fasting and things like that and shrink these tumors. And, and that's in this situation, it might be able to help a little bit, but it's probably not going to be the cure, right? So just delaying it, is probably not going to be the answer if that's one of the contributing factors. So I just say this because when I see people now that are in their 60s, 65, 70, and they've had this adenoma for 10, 15, 20 years, it was something that they probably could have saved themselves a lot of bone loss if they just knew earlier because the signs were there, right? Yeah. And I think that's important to, you know, I always recommend getting your labs done every single year kind of similar as you're saying to, you know, just knowing your bone density labs, you know, as early as your early forties, and then having that baseline to work from, from there. Um, I think having these baselines, whether it's our hormones, it's our metabolic labs, it's our thyroid labs, it's our bone density. These are all super important markers for us to look at over time so that we can see if there's any shifts or changes so that we can track that. I want to move into where I think we really fail <laughs> which is the standard of care protocol for osteoporosis in the healthcare system. Can you speak to me about how, or speak to us about how we're just not nailing it in this department? Yeah, we're not. We're not. We're falling short for sure. Because when somebody is told they have osteoporosis or osteopenia, the standard recommendation that comes immediately after in a 5, 10, 15 minute conversation, take some calcium, take some vitamin D, go for a walk, here's your bone drug. We'll see you in two years for your next bone density scan. Good luck. That is woefully inadequate. And when we're talking about the medication specifically, we'll talk about the nutrients in just a minute. But when we're talking about the medication specifically, just know that if you are meeting with a conventional physician at the end of that conversation, a pharmaceutical will most likely be recommended. And in that conversation, you're maybe, you're maybe going to have 10, 15 minutes to have that conversation, you will not get the education that you need. So I'm going to give it to you right now. There are two categories or primary categories of these drugs. They're anti-resorptives, they're anabolics. Anti-resorptives are designed to slow down the activity level of cells that break down your bone. Uh, and then there are two uh, classes within that. There's bisphosphonates and ranclagon inhibitors. Bisphosphonates would be your Fosamax, your Reclass, your Boniva, uh, and your Actinel. Those are your bisphosphonates. Safety and efficacy of bisphosphonates is not really well known beyond five years. And as you and I are going about our daily activities, doing our daily chores or exercising, we're starting to get these tiny little micro cracks, micro fractures in our bones. That's normal. Happens for everybody. And then what happens is you have cells within the bone that sense that damage and send out a signal and say, hey, we need to become stronger. So what do they do? They communicate to these cells called osteoclasts. They come in and they scoop out that damaged bone. And right behind it, it's a coupled process. You have these other cells that called osteoblasts that come in, fill in stronger, healthier bone, right? So that is the process of remodeling. And that's supposed to happen. 
when you take some of these medications, you can actually slow down that process too much where you start to accumulate that old, worn, damaged, weakened bone over time. So if you're doing this for years, you can, even if your bone density is showing stable or increasing the bone quality, that bone strength may not actually be there, right? So you may be developing weaker bones over time, even if they do look more dense. So that's one part of it. There's another one called Prolia, which is a rank ligand inhibitor. And this drug, again, slows down the activity level cells, break down bone, can give a little bump in bone quality. But once you get on it, you increase your risk of vertebral fractures if you ever come off, right? And you have to transition from one drug to another just to not have what's called the rebound effect that has those vertebral fractures that come with it. So important note, when you're committing to one of these medications, you may be committing to multiple medications for multiple years or a lifetime. And then the other category of drugs that we'll talk about that you'll hear about are called anabolics. And anabolics are designed to build bone, build better quality bone and build it faster. Can they do that? Yes, they absolutely can. Who's typically recommended that medication? Typically, I've seen situations where they were recommended where it wasn't that situation. It's not a good thing. But somebody who is, has really poor quality bone, they've had a lot of fractures and they need an immediate intervention that may be a situation where it's appropriate. But the majority of the time, there's so much more you can do before you get to that point, right? But uh, anabolics, you can only take them for a certain period of time and you have to follow it with a bisphosphonate or another or an anti-resorptive medication just so you don't lose the bone you just gained, right? So a lot of times people aren't told you will have to take another medication after this one. So now you know and now you have that understanding that you're usually not committing to one, you're usually committing to many over many years. You know, the sense that I've gotten when I've looked at a lot of these is that they felt so much like a quick fix and that over time they just didn't get, they just didn't work, you know? Yeah, and, and it's it's not addressing the root cause issue. Right, by no means, yeah. Yes, it's, it's covering those things up. Sometimes it actually makes your digestive issues, for example, your nutrient absorption worse. I liken the use of drugs or, or any of these medications for osteoporosis to that old economic adage, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? There's risks and side effects and short and long-term implications of using any of these things. You have to consider that. I, I would say I can't be anti-medication because I've seen situations where it is necessary and life-saving for some people. But the majority of people, there is so much more that they can do before they ever even get to that point. So I am pro do everything you possibly can now to prevent yourself from getting there in the future. Let's get into that. Oh, before we actually, a part of that too was, yes, I know that often they're just like, here, take this calcium supplement, take, take some vitamin D, go for a walk, maybe a little bit of light weight bearing exercises. And then, yeah, and here's this drug. Um, without, you know, the real implications of what that actually means over time. And then I know that that's not even usually sufficient nutrient information or guidance around what someone should be taking. Um, and so I'd love to spend time on some of the nutrients because I think a lot of us have just been told it's, it's calcium, maybe it's magnesium and vitamin D. And I don't know, there's like a cocktail of, of minerals and vitamins here that we're supposed to take to build stronger bone, but it's, you know, a lot of the calcium isn't the right calcium. It's, I just feel like there's a lot of misinformation about this too. Yeah. Let's jump into that. So calcium and vitamin D, those are two that you will be told. Are they important? Yes. Of course they're important, right? Calcium is the primary mineral constituent of your bones. So you need calcium. Vitamin D is important, not just for your bones, but it's also just for your general health. You need vitamin D. When it comes to vitamin D, vitamin D, because it's not just a vitamin, it acts as a hormone you need to look at your levels first and see where you're at, right? So get the 25 hydroxy vitamin D test. If your doctor has not ordered it, ask them to order it. That's the test you want to look at. And then look at your levels, get an objective data point where your level's at. The range for vitamin D in the US, 30 to 100 ml, is huge. It's insane. It's huge. It's not functional by any means. No, absolutely not. And if you're on the, if you're on the low end, right? So if you're at 30 NGML, you're going to be told that's normal. In most cases, most physicians, conventional physicians would look at that and say, that's normal. That's not, you need to boost your levels, right? You need to bring your levels up. 
Uh, and if you're in the 40, 45 NGML, 50, 50 to 80 even, I mean, you're moving more toward where we would want to see you. Your levels are going to vary based on your specific needs, but that's a way better target to look for than a 30 NGML, or especially if you're lower than that. You can also go the other direction and be too high. Right? So if you're getting past 100 NGML, 150 NGML, things like that, and you're mega dosing vitamin D every day, or you haven't checked your levels and you go get them checked and you're that high, it's a fat soluble nutrient too. So it can build up over time. So you need to scale it back. Yeah, scale back and then measure your levels again as you're scaling back to see, is it coming down too? And the other thing when it comes to osteoporosis, a lot of times people have issues with vitamin D. I do personally in terms of, I, I think I do well with the binding, you know, poor job with the transport and an okay job with the conversion, right? So, so some people may have issues there with vitamin D, vitamin D receptors and things like that. So just be aware there could be other pieces playing into that and genetic testing could also help you understand this as well, right? So that's vitamin D. And the other thing I'll, I'll note on that, depending on what time of year it is too, as you enter into those colder weather months, just remember the sun's rays aren't going to be strong enough to generate enough vitamin D production. So it's probably going to be a good idea to, again, monitor those levels and supplement when necessary. So that's vitamin D. Calcium. Calcium is really, it is important right? You need to have calcium. I am pro get as much of this from your food first as you possibly can before you get to supplementation. You cannot out supplement osteoporosis or bone health or most health issues, right? Supplements can help, but they're use them as they're intended. So try to get as much as you possibly can from your food first. Now, some of the challenges for people come with, they don't consume dairy, right? Or they have an autoimmune condition, right? They're intolerant to dairy. They're uh, those kinds of things. So dairy's out of the picture. How now do we get calcium into our diet? Well, some of my favorite sources, I love arugula. Arugula is a fantastic source. Greens, baby. Cruciferous green, same family as broccoli and kale. And it's got vitamin C, vitamin K and bioavailable calcium. So a lot of times people eat spinach, they see spinach in the bag and they look on the back. By the way, spinach doesn't come in a bag. You should get it from your farmer down the road. They look at the bag in the store and they see the calcium is really high. Well, that calcium is not going to be bioavailable because of the oxalates in spinach. Oxalates are an anti-nutrient. So just know that even if it says that it's high on your spinach, you may not actually be getting that calcium, right? So arugula is very low oxalate green. So for somebody who has chronic joint pain and digestive issues or issues with kidney stones also, that would be a great swap to make. Swap your spinach for your arugula. I also like arugula because it's a bitter food and you need bitter foods. Our diets today are largely devoid of bitter foods and you need bitter foods because that helps stimulate bile that's produced in the liver, stored in the gallbladder. And when you eat a meal, it's pushing your small intestine and helps break down and emulsify those fatty acids that you need and helps you absorb fat soluble nutrients like vitamins A, D, E, and K, right? So I was to circle back to the calcium, calcium rich foods. Another one, yeah, it is so easy too. It's so easy. You can, you can just toss a handful in a side salad and shred some vegetables or, or something into it. You can add carrots, you can add cucumbers, those kinds of things, and then sauerkraut, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I like, I also like organic Kalamata olives. You can go in, it's another great addition. Drizzle with a little bit of good quality extra virgin olive oil. That can be great. Uh, and then maybe squeeze a little bit of fresh lemon on it. And then one of my other favorite sources of calcium that's not dairy would be the bones inside fish. Okay. So, sardines, mackerel, wild sockeye salmon, if you get them in the can. Now, just a warning. I'm, I know this is probably not the most appealing thing, right? As you hear this. Sell it. <laughs> I'm going to sell it to you right now. I'm selling it to you. So when you get these sardines, the mackerel, the wild sockeye salmon, get them in a BPA-free can, but 
get the bones in. And when they have the bones in, the reason I like them is they're not hard pokey bones that are going to hurt your mouth. They almost, here's where I'm not making the case, melt in your mouth. They're almost melting in your mouth. But the reason why I like them is because they have the same minerals and nutrients in the right ratios that nature put them in, that your own bones need, right? So that's one reason I like them. They also have a healthy dose of protein. We talked about and omega-3s, right? So you need protein for your muscles and you need protein for your bones, okay? And then the omega-3 component of them, anything that contributes to inflammation, especially chronic, especially long-term, that's not gonna be good for your health. Omega-3s are like dampeners of inflammation. So that can be another, that's like three punches right there for, for just that one food. So that can be a great addition right there. I love that because a lot of the women listening are like myself. Um, I we're gluten free and we're dairy free. You know, a lot of women listen because they have autoimmune conditions on the show, or they've got you know gut intolerances and insensitivities. And so I'm really grateful that you are bringing up a spectrum of how we can get this critical um, nutrient without like I just I cannot consume dairy. It's a no go for me. Absolutely. Some of the other ones. I mean, bok choy, collard greens. Uh, broccoli, you steam broccoli, that can be another good source. Now, if you do or can tolerate dairy, I would go for the cultured and fermented dairy, right? If you're going to do it, go for cultured and fermented. So what do I mean by that? Your grass-fed kefir, right? Or some people that can't tolerate a, a goat or a cow can tolerate camel, right? And these may be things that you're listening, you're like, oh, I've never even considered a camel. Like camel's milk kefir or something like that, you can do that and just try it. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, that's okay. Approach it with curiosity instead of expectation and your disappointment is going to disappear around those things. So, and then what's another one? Uh, whey, whey protein. It just depends. Again, some people can't tolerate it. Some people can, if you have issues with dairy, you can avoid it all together and then focus on getting it from some of those sources and then close the gaps with supplementation if and when necessary. So go for absorbable forms, chelated forms of calcium can be really absorbable. And then some people also use algae-based calcium too. It just depends. Uh, I'm not opposed to algae-based calcium. I think uh, some of the other forms are a little bit more absorbable, but it just depends on you. Try it one of those forms out, see what works for you, and then just make adjustments from there. Quick question, and not necessarily the calcium, but um, would you recommend if someone was looking to supplement with a protein, like a protein powder and they couldn't do whey, I'm out on that, would a bone broth work? Just in terms of getting some of those nutrients, would that be beneficial or not, or even just bone broth in general? I mean, this is the time of the year I think about the hearty vegetables, the cruciferous vegetables, but then also the soups and the broths and, and things like that. I didn't know if, if we should consider using a bone broth, like a chicken broth or, a, you know, using cow bones for making soups. Absolutely. I love that. Bone broth is a great addition. Bone broth protein powder is fantastic. You can also do a grass-fed beef isolate protein as well. So, and that is, that's going to give you you know, the full spectrum of amino acids that you need, you're still getting that healthy dose of protein. And then even collagen peptides too. There are specific collagen peptides that are, are like bioactive peptides that you can get that actually have been shown to help support your bones. So not just regular collagen powder, but specific bioactive collagen peptides can help too. And those can be all, I love protein powders too, because sometimes it just helps you get that extra little bit that you need. Yeah. I mean, for me, especially, you know, as we talked about earlier, just body composition, maintaining muscle mass, maintaining strength and endurance, also bone mass too. I just, you know, I know protein is a major player in that. And many women, particularly as they enter perimenopause and menopause are simply not getting enough. And so even myself, like to hit my numbers, I have, you know, I'm after this call, I'm going to do a protein shake. And so, and it's with bone broth. But I was, you know, it's just like we get in where we fit in. So I was just curious if that was helping us move the needle in the right direction. You on my schedule? We're, we're, that's what I'm doing after this. Too. I have one. Is that what you're doing? Oh, we have, we have, a, do we have a protein shake date after this? <laughs> we have one, we have one of those. Yeah. So um, mine is, I actually use, I use collagen. I use grass-fed beef isolate too, that completely dairy-free 
uh, option for a protein shake, but it helps helps get 40 grams in. And that's, that's pretty easy. Awesome. Okay. So we've got, so calcium and so get them, get it from food sources, nutrient dense sources, then supplement it as well with supplementation. Is there a specific kind of calcium that you would love for us to look for? Cause I know that not all calcium is created equal on in the supplement market, just like not all vitamin D is created equal either. So yeah. Calcium citrate is probably the most studied of all of them. Calcium carbonate is probably the, it's the most poorly absorbed form of calcium, right? So calcium carbonate is not what you want. Uh, calcium citrate, great. A lot of research behind it. It is highly absorbable, even if you have low stomach acid. Same thing with a calcium malate or something like that. That can be a more highly absorbed form. Again, we talked about, I get questions a lot about algae-based calcium. Yes, that can be part of your plan. Uh, it just depends on your individual situation too. And then MCHC, so like bone meal calcium. If you are somebody who has low stomach acid, it's it's going to be harder if you have low stomach acid and you're trying to consume the MCHC as a source of calcium. So just be aware of that. You might need a more absorbable form. Perfect. And any other nutrient we should consider? I know that I often recommend pairing vitamin D with magnesium. It's more activated that way. So it was, I know magnesium is probably on that list. I, my ladies love, they love themselves some magnesium. So it's not, that's, they're probably already doing that. Um, any other particular nutrient that we should consider overall? I'll give another vote for magnesium. If uh, I, should, I think we all could benefit from more magnesium, but an important note is as your vitamin D and calcium intake increases, so too does your need for magnesium. Right. So if you're going after and targeting two additional nutrients that you need to support your bone health, do not forget about magnesium. One, an interesting note is that we're talking about protein here. As you take in protein, right, and you break it down into smaller pieces, it, it's uh, turned into these amino acids. In order to rebuild those amino acids inside your body, you need magnesium to do that, right? So in order to rebuild your muscles, rebuild your bones, you have to have magnesium present for that. So that's, that's definitely an important one. And then another one would be vitamin C. So vitamin C is important because your bones are this collagen protein matrix upon which these minerals are laid, right? So vitamin C is stimulating pro-collagen. It is enhancing uh, collagen synthesis and it's stimulating alkaline phosphatase activity, which is a marker for bone building cell formation, which is pretty cool, right? So, and then on the other side, if you don't have enough vitamin C longer term, you're going to have increased fracture risk and, and issues there. So you can get some great whole food sources of vitamin C I personally love berries. I love incorporating organic berries and you can get the, the berries in the store if that's what is most accessible to you, right? Get them organic. If there's one food that you're going to get organic, you and I, we, we've got young kids, right? So we're on top of that too. I, let me tell you, grand, the grandparents tried to give my son non-organic berries once and I was like, mm-mm. You're spending the money. <laughs> what is that? Uh, there was like a commercial of the the linebacker that comes out of nowhere and like tackles the person. That's kind of how I feel about the organic berry thing with my kids too. I do that with them. But that's one area that you can get some great nutrients and they're lower sugar for the most part. And uh, they're they're not going to be covered in pesticides. And I like uh, I like blueberries, strawberries, I like to get lingonberries and huckleberries and those kinds of things frozen. Get all those. So anyway, berries are one of them. And then uh, there are plenty of other sources of vitamin C too. Yeah. I mean, this is a great season for, for citruses right now. Obviously, berries, you know, even frozen berries, if you get organic and frozen, it's cheaper for you to put in your smoothie. I mean, you know the deal, get in where you fit in, but you can just try to incorporate all of these and then the fiber and the antioxidants and all the other benefits as well. Okay. So nutrient wise, we're kind of, I mean, obviously whole foods is where we want to focus our energy um, as much as possible and then supplementing it. I want to speak into, and this has kind of been where, where I've been, obviously nutrient dense foods, a major piece for me, that, that is a big part and a staple of our household. I will always say it's foundational. But the one thing that I have been doing since I was 17 years old is weight-bearing exercise. And I always just felt like maybe that was my insurance policy for maintaining good bone. Is that where the money's at? Is, is the, share with me if that's, if that's a big part of it. Because um, that's where I'm putting my energy outside of the nutritional piece. Yeah, look, so we can eat all the, all the good nutrients. You can, you can eat as much arugula as you want and get as many berries as you want and all the protein. 
if you're not providing the stimulus that your bones need to become stronger, they're not going to become stronger, right? So there are different types of stimuli that your bones need. You need muscle pulling on bone and you need impact. So muscle pulling on bone, you've got a mechanical signal. It sends a chemical signal to tell those bones to become stronger. And then you've probably heard of, and most doctors will tell people, go do some weight bearing exercise. Well, let's outline what that is. So people really understand weight bearing exercise, anything that your body and your bones, you're doing these things on your feet and your body and your bones have to work against gravity to keep you upright. So they're placing a good, healthy stress on the bones. That's weight bearing exercise. So this would be your walking. You're jogging, you're hiking, you're dancing, you're gardening, you're playing with the kids or the grandkids outside, your yoga, Pilates, Tai Chi, Qigong. That is all weight-bearing exercise. Notice what some of those things I listed, they're not formal exercise, right? They're not. You can do some of these things. You can still get that weight-bearing stuff in as long as you're out being active. Walking, let me make a note about walking too. If that is all you're doing for your exercise every day, it's not enough. It's not enough. It can help you maintain your bone density in your lower half, at least, as long as you're, as long as you don't have an underlying cause contributing to loss, it could help you maintain, but it's not going to help you build. So you need to provide another stimulus that I'm going to talk about in just a second. The other thing I want to talk about with weight-bearing exercise is non-weight-bearing exercise. And this is where your body and your bones do not work against gravity to keep you upright. And you're not doing things on your feet and there's no good, healthy stress on the bones. Astronauts work against this when they go into space, and they actually lose a lot of bone density if they don't work to combat that. So what do those exercises look like? That would be your cycling, right? Especially endurance, long-distance long cycling, that kind of stuff, and then also swimming. So it's not to say that if you enjoy cycling, casually bike riding, doing those kinds of things, that you can't or shouldn't do those things. Same thing with swimming. If you enjoy them, they make you happy. They reduce your stress. You're doing them with your friends, your family, your loved ones. Keep doing it. At the same time, don't get out of the pool swimming five laps, uh, you know, five days a week, just doing laps and say, I've done my exercise. You haven't because you haven't given your body and your bones that stimulus that they need. So this last piece is what you must include. And that is resistance training and muscle strengthening exercise. And that is where maybe you're bringing in, you know, you're bringing in resistant, heavy resistance bands or even whatever resistance bands work for you. You're bringing in barbells or dumbbells, or even if you're most comfortable with the weights uh, on the machines in the gym, do those. That's where you can start to bring this additional stimulus in that you need. And some of the really great exercises that I like to see would be squats, incorporating squats. That's a fantastic movement. Deadlifts deadlifts are amazing, right? And I know that may sound scary if you're like, oh my gosh, I've never deadlifted and it has the word dead in it. Like not my kind of thing, but you don't have to just start with bodybuilder size weight or powerlifter size weight. Start where, where a, an evaluation of your body mechanics, see what is possible for you to do with good form and then slowly progress up to where you're doing it right. And you're actually providing the stimulus that you need and overhead presses. Those are another good one too. Thanks for sharing. Okay. So, so both, you know, a weight bearing and non weight bearing. So having a variety of things is going to really be helpful in ensuring that you're maintaining that muscle mass. And like you said, and it's not just about, it's not just about kind of maintaining, but also helping to build it, which is what I, I know we, we've been talking a little bit about which is what I know so many of my ladies are interested in. Like, how do I continue to build this? If I know I'm losing it slowly over time, how do I ensure that I'm continuing to build? And this would be really one of the ways to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you got to exercise. You got to do, there's a kind of a couple things that you have to do high level. Uh, and you've got to figure out why you're losing bone, figure out where you're at first, right? What's your starting point? What's your baseline from which to monitor future changes? Once you know that, if you've got causes of bone loss taking place right now, you have to address them. You have to identify what those are. You have to address those things. The next kind of bucket that you have to address or, or step that you have to address is nourishing the body, absorbing the nutrients, getting the right plan in place, doing all those things. 
uh, there. And then you have to build strength of body, mind, and bone in a way that prevents fractured injury, not just now, but lay the foundation for your future. So stress, sleep, exercise, hormones, all those things play into it. And that is how you start to bring together a stronger bones plan. Per- yeah, I was gonna, that was my next question is like, how do we create this plan? And thank you for laying it out. I know it gets more detailed than that. And then also, you know, what are some of the, I feel like we have, there's a lot of misconceptions. What are some of the biggest misconceptions around, around osteoporosis and bone loss? Um, Cause I feel like a lot of us are kind of just walking in the dark around this. And then we kind of just get hit with this news. I, I can't tell you how many times someone tells me like, oh, I just got diagnosed with osteopenia or osteoporosis. And they really just feel like it's, it's nothing they can really do about it. Yeah. Some of the biggest ones, uh, we, one of them we touched on at the beginning is, oh, well, I, I could never get osteoporosis. You know, I'm, I'm young, I'm fit, I'm healthy. I eat, I, I work out, I do all that stuff. Look, I was in the Marines in the infantry carrying heavy loads, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And trust me when I say I was shocked when I found out that I had bone loss and osteoporosis that had taken place. I was thinking, oh, you know, tough Marine, that, that's not going to happen to me. And it did. Right. So, and it, it's because there was a secondary cause or contributing factor that was just multiple, actually, in my case, multiple things taking place. But for most people, even if you, even if you get to the point where you're postmenopausal, right. And you've had that drop in estrogen, you have bone loss associated with it. If you haven't kind of taken some proactive measures with hormones and things like that, even in that case, you don't want to make an assumption that it's just hormones you need to make objective decisions. Are there other things? I've seen plenty of situations where postmenopausal women still have active root cause issues of bone loss too. So that's one of the big ones is it, it can happen at any age. And, you know, I actually get, sometimes I get messages from people on di- our different social channels and they'll say, you know, t- teens even that are, that are dealing with this and trying to make improvements. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not just isolated to people that are 70 plus. Okay. So that's one of them. And then I think the other one is that people see that maybe their mother or their grandmother or somebody in their life was told they have osteoporosis and that that's their fate, right? That's their destiny. It's, it's my genetics. Like it's, it's just going to happen. It's yeah. And it feels like that's one of those things where like, people are like, I am definitely getting it. You know, and I, I don't know exactly where that misconception came from because we don't, I don't think we all believe that all the things are going to happen to us that happen to our parents, but that is definitely one that I feel a lot of people very much believe to be true is that my mom had it. I'm going to have it. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. Genetics do play a role, right? Genetics play a role. And if you have a lot of people in your family that have osteoporosis or have had osteoporosis, then you probably need to pay a little bit more attention right? And do some more proactive things, maybe get some genetic testing and see if there are, are certain things there that you, you could be addressing or not be aware of. But there are so many things that you can do to stabilize loss, to build bone strength. It's just, just because someone else in your family has it, or you've seen somebody else's fracture does not mean that has to be your fate. Thanks. Thank you. And I know that, I mean, this is what you do. And so I want to, I want to really steer women in the right direction to what to do next. I feel like we, we went over misconceptions. We went over some of the root causes. We went over, you know, what the standard practice of care in the healthcare system is and how that isn't really the best viable option. And you mentioned that in some cases it can be, but like we have so many other paths that we can go down to build bone and actually get you out of that danger zone. And so where would you recommend we go next? If I really want to learn more about uh, uh, building a stronger bone plan, having, you know, all the, the tools in my toolbox to, you know, ensure that I stay strong and have that endurance and yeah, that I'm picking up grandkids, you know, that I'm doing those things. If I have a two-year-old at 40 something years old, like I really want to make sure I'm strong then. Where do you recommend we go first for you, to see you and to check you out? Yeah. So you can, everybody can always find me at bonecoach.com. But what I'd like to do, if this is okay with you, with your audience is I have a, a stronger bones masterclass, right? It's a free class. You get a bone healthy recipes guide just for signing up for it. 
And it walks through this three-step process that I talked to, and it gets a little bit more specific. And it's just going to walk you through exactly what you need to be doing to get on the path to improvement and stronger bones. So that, that's a free Stronger Bones Masterclass. Are you okay if we maybe leave this in the show notes or something for your people? Yeah, absolutely. I'll have the link to register for free. Plus, they're going to get the free gift, which I always love. And then I'll have the link to bonecoach.com as well. Um, Kevin, honey, anywhere else you would love for us to uh, kind of like on social, you would love for us to plug into? Yeah, you can find me on the, all the social channels at Bone Coach Kevin on Instagram, at Bone Coach on YouTube. We've also got a podcast called the Bone Coach Osteoporosis Podcast. So you can check that out too if you want. Uh, but those are the best places. And we're on Facebook too. Awesome. Thank you. Well, again, I'll have all the links there. I really want you guys to go check out the masterclass. Um, if you are, if you've gotten a reading or you've got family, like you just have, there's a couple things that there were aha moments or maybe red flags that popped for you today. And you're thinking this is time to get a baseline. And, you know, whether you have a baseline or not, like you just want to know the proactive ways in which to start building bone and making sure that you're maintaining what you have. I, I definitely recommend going to the master class even before you're able to get some of those diagnostic tools. Yep, absolutely. Thanks so much. It feels so good to know that there are a lot of things that we have control of when it comes to maintaining strong bones for many years and that we can make positive changes at any age. Because I don't know about you, it really hasn't been on my radar. And now that I'm in perimenopause and I know that slowly my estradiol is dropping, this is something that I know I need to focus on. And I know for some of us, we have family members and people in our lives that have osteoporosis or osteopenia, and it's kind of on our radar. Now, if you are concerned about your bone mass or recently got a diagnosis of osteopenia or osteoporosis, or you just really wanna be proactive and dive into what you can do to create a strong bone plan, I highly recommend checking out Kevin's free Stronger Bones Masterclass. Again, it's completely free. You get a bunch of gifts to go with it. And I will have the link in the show notes to register and to grab the free gifts. Again, if there was anything today that you had a big aha moment around, be sure to subscribe to the show and take a minute to rate the show. That way, more women can get the answers that they are looking for. Until the next episode, have an amazing day.